It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Peter Enns, the 2023 Edmonds Lecture, as our preacher this morning. Dr. Enns is the Abram S. Clemens Professor of Biblical Studies at Eastern University in Pennsylvania, having previously served at Westminster Theological Seminary. He has published several books which have been well-received and are widely discussed, including The Sin of Certainty, How the Bible Actually Works, and Curveball, When Your Faith Takes Turns You Never Saw Coming. I'm going to break new ground with Edmund's lectures and also mention something I haven't mentioned in relation to other Edmund's lectures in the past. That is, he helps host two very popular podcasts. One is the Bible for Normal People, and the other is Faith for Normal People. So if you consider yourself normal, you might want to check one of those out. Please pray with me. Holy God, we give thanks for the gift of your living word. May the words spoken here and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Very good, enthusiastic response. That makes me feel good. I was about to step away and not do anything, but you're very kind. So um, I'd like to read our passage today, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. We read, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It is this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loves us so much, we ought also to love one another. And this is the last verse. This is the one that I like. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, you know, no one has ever seen God, and I think about that a lot because I sort of make a living talking about God. You know, praying, seeking God, going to church, teaching, writing, speaking, all sorts of stuff. I, I talk about what God is like all the time. But the fact is that I, I haven't seen this God. And I'm going to guess neither of you. I'm probably not alone here. And if we do say we've seen God, people don't believe us, right? Or they cart us away someplace, right, for being weird. So um, I think the fact remains, you know, as, as we go about our days, as you go about your days, thinking of this faith that we share, and praying and reading or cogitating or whatever, it still is the case that we've never seen this God. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Oh, there. Show me evidence of God. Well, he's right there. I mean, anything, just like, I don't know, a voice, but a real one, not a crazy one in my head, but a real voice. A burning book, you know, a pillar of cloud, anything, something, that God is there, that we can see God somehow. 
But you see, here's the thing is, it's even, it's even harder than that. It's not just that we don't see God, but the things that we do see don't always help us. I mean, for example, you know, I have uh, friends of mine who are, uh, you know, don't have any religious affiliation. We call them atheists sometimes. I think that's a rather harsh word. It doesn't really describe people and their complexity. But they, for whatever reason, don't have an active sense or belief in God. And they want evidence for God, which I get. And the reason is because we live in a scientific age where we have evidence for everything. Don't we? Right? And, you know, we know where rain comes from. Uh, we know that hail doesn't come from the storehouses of heaven, as the book of Jeremiah puts it. I don't blame them for saying it that way, but we don't think that way, right? You all know who Pat Robertson was? Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Okay, you're living in the right state. This is Virginia, right? Okay, so you know him. Anyway, years ago, this is like 10, 10 maybe even like 15 years ago, and I remember this from John Stewart, The Daily Show, right? Can I get an amen for John Stewart? I got, when he retired, I was like, where am I going to get my news from? I just had no idea. But anyway, he's talking about how Pat Robertson, a, a hurricane went through Virginia and wreaked havoc many years ago. And, and Robert, Pat Robertson said, you know, it was, it's God's wrath on Virginia. You did something wrong. I don't remember what it was. Like you voted wrong about something and the wrong, like some Democrat got elected or something. So that was it. And John Stewart said, isn't it interesting how the wrath of God always seems to show up during hurricane season? Which is funny, and it's also a great observation, right? Because we can interpret hurricanes differently than maybe a biblical literalist might. So we don't really need God to explain most of what happens around us. And, and not only that, but it's not just, it's not just that sort of thing, but it's this, the thing we always, it always comes up in these conversations. Um, pain and suffering in the world. And not just the things we do to each other, but having things like hurricanes and houses collapse on people or tsunamis or whatever. You know, there's so much pain in the world. So people say, not only do I not see God, but I have no reason for thinking God is even there. And I really do understand that. So, you know, believing in God, just believe in God. You're expecting an awful lot from us, O oh Lord. It's not easy. It would be nice. Sort of like, you know, the book of Job, right? You have Job and his friends are arguing back and forth for like many, many, many chapters about why Job is suffering. And um, they're debating and they have very opposite points of view. And at the end of the book, what happens? But God shows up and he says, okay, let me settle this. Job, you're right. The friends are wrong. I would love that. When I'm right and all my friends are wrong around me, I want God to show up and just be, give me some evidence of God's existence so I can be right about some things. But it doesn't work that way because no one has ever seen God, including the people in the book of Job, because that's a story. You know, I've often wondered why, I think about this, why John even brings it up to begin with that no one has ever seen God. I think the reason is because this stuff that, you know, the John stuff was written probably a good 60 years after the time of Jesus. And I can imagine, you know, grandchildren in the congregation or whatever you want to call it back then, 
are saying, you know, granddad or grandma, it's great that you sort of saw Jesus walking around, but we saw nothing and we're so very far removed. We haven't seen God. I think it was an issue in John's day. You know the story of doubting Thomas, right? Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself. And, you know, of course, Jesus shows up as he does. And, you know, put your hands on my side and in my hands and, and you can see that it's true. And then he says, my Lord and my God. And then what does Jesus say after that? You believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who what? Believe without having seen, right? I think that's a story for the benefit of John's audience because so much time had elapsed. See, I think we share this same question with John's community. We don't see God. What's up with that? We'd like to, but we don't. You know, we, don't we all want God moments? Sightings of God in some sense. But you see, John raises this issue, and I'm very glad that he does. And he takes us in explaining how this works, at least from his point of view. He takes us, I think, to a deeper place than maybe we were thinking we'd have to go to think about this question of, no one can see God. So here's what I think John is trying to say to us. You want to see God? You can. You can't see God. No one has ever seen God. But you can know God. You can be present with God. How? Well, here's how. This is what the passage is saying. Since God is love, and since God loves us, Knowing God means, guess what? Mimicking that same type of love to each other. Right? What kind of love is this? It's not, as John says, it's not that we love God. It's that God loves us. God makes the first move. And so you make the first move, which means you're being vulnerable. Right? I think, I think God loving the world is actually a vulnerable move on God's part and say, I'm going to do something for them. Have you ever hesitated showing love to somebody because you don't know how they're going to respond? And then you look like an idiot because you made yourself, what, vulnerable to other people. But I think that's the secret, or not even a secret, it's right here in front of us. Mimicking God's costly, vulnerable love if you want to see God, that's how you know God is there. See, it's not as much as I would like this to be. I'm sort of a science guy, even though I know nothing about science. I really like it, right? Not educated. I don't do the math. It's way over my head. But it's not, it's not having you know, a bigger telescope. The James Webb Space Telescope is not going to show us God. It's not about having, you know, a better argument than the next person. It's not about maybe finding a new church. It's not about any of those kinds of things. But it's mimicking the love of God. See, this is what John says at the end. No one has ever seen God. And I'm going to add a word here because it's sort of in Greek, but it's not represented in our English translations. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God's love is in us. Well, that's easy, isn't it? You ever try loving people? 
it's very, this is, this is, this is hard work. You know, I had once, somebody once said to me, I was talking about this and he said, so it's just love. That's it. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're actually demonstrating right now how hard it is to actually do this. Right. And that's making it really hard for me to do this towards you too. So, you know, um, years ago, a very good friend of mine, who's still a friend of mine, she, for a number of reasons, left the Christian faith entirely. And some of her reasons were very intellectual reasons, and, and she left. And uh, she called me sometimes, a couple of years ago, and she called me because she was in a rough patch in her life, and uh, very sad, somewhat depressed about some things were happening. And as we're talking, she starts crying. And she cries because she said, I just miss the community that I had when I was in church. Well, no one has ever seen God, but the love of the community is as close as we get. I find that both thrilling and frightening. I don't know about you. It's not writing another book. Again, it's not having a better argument. It's what are you willing to do to show Jesus to other people? You know, my students say sometimes, you know, be careful how you act. You may be the only Bible people read. Mm-mm-mm. Be careful how you act. You may be the only Jesus people ever see. That's our rule. So this whole idea of love as a way of being and sensing and feeling God's presence is not side issue. It's the issue. Another friend of mine, very different kind of story, likewise left the Christian faith entirely uh, because of how he was treated by his community of faith. Very opposite. A lot of shaming and, and you know, making him feel bad and other and ostracizing him because of some issues, whatever it was, it doesn't even matter as far as I'm concerned. But he left the Christian faith, and you see, this is the opposite. If we don't love in the community that says we believe in this God, if we don't love, right, as God loves us, here's what we're actually doing for people like this other friend of mine. We're actually demonstrating to him that God doesn't exist. That raises the ante, doesn't it? How we act towards other people may be the most concrete sense of God's existence. This is why people get involved in cults, right? Because they feel welcomed and loved and understood, right? Not that you're a cult, right? Don't get me wrong about this. But, you know, it's just, it's that works, there's something powerful about people feeling loved and sensing and being closer to God as a result of that. And so for this friend of mine, you know, think of it this way. The only evidence we have for God, which is the love of others towards us, that evidence for him has now been tainted. And he can't get back to it. He doesn't trust other people when they say God loves you and so do I doesn't trust them. So he's not going back unless he can find evidence like of a scientific nature to believe in God. And I ask myself, who's at fault, him or the people around him? 
See, in John's day and in ours, man, things don't change sometimes, do they? No one has ever seen God. But what we can see is the imprint of God in the God-like love that we give and receive. Again, that's, that sounds so mamby-pamby, doesn't it? It's like, I need more than that. Give me some arguments. No, it's, it's much simpler than that. But it's much, much harder than that, too. Can I tell you a couple stories about when I didn't do that right? Yeah, you'd like some stories knocking myself down a few pegs, wouldn't you? No, I'm not going to do it now. I was going to, but I don't like your attitude. Anyway, um, one story. Okay, there's, there's, this ends in a good place, so don't, don't judge me too quickly. There's this biblical scholar that I hate. He's such a jerk, and he's so wrong, and he doesn't like what I write. So he can't be a good person at all, right? So anyway, long story short, I was in an academic conference in San, Fran San Diego. This is a few years ago. And I was traveling with a couple of my colleagues at Eastern. And we went back very early. It's like 4.30 in the morning. We're in the hotel lobby. And it's just us three. And guess who shows up? That guy. So I'm like, this is not happening to me. I can't stand this guy. I don't want to talk to him. I think he's a jerk. Anyway, so I asked I, one of my colleagues who's too friendly for his own good. I said, listen, Joe, don't. See that guy? Yeah. I can't stand him. Don't go talking to him and making friends with him. Okay, just, just keep your, I, I don't want to deal with it. It's 4.30 in the morning. We're getting on a plane. So we get into our two different Ubers. And I'm thinking to myself, he's getting on the same plane I'm getting. I'll bet you, because he lives in my area, which is why I hate him so much. Anyway, did I mention I can't stand this guy? So anyway, so we get to the airport, and I hustled because I wanted to get a seat in the gate area as far away where I could just, like sitting in the corner of the church where I can just watch where everybody else is. I'm going to keep an eye on this guy because I don't want to sit next to him. And so help me for sitting next to each other on the plane. That didn't happen, by the way, because I believe in God's existence now because of that. <clears throat> anyway, so I'm sitting there just, and he's way over there. Thank goodness. Just stay there, pal. I don't want to talk to you because you're a jerk. And anyway, so my colleagues went to use the bathroom. I'm left by myself. I'm reading. I look up, and he's about maybe five or six rows down. He's just like walking back and forth around the, chair, around the seating area. I said, what's his problem? So I go down, I, look, I keep reading, I look up, and he's right in front of me. And he puts his hand out to me, and he says, Pete, my name's Greg. I don't think we've ever actually met. Oh, I felt horrible, right? But you see, that had an impact on me. You know why? Because I don't think he likes me either. Um, but what did he do? He did the right thing. Right, And that, that moment has stuck with me. I need to be bold. He did the right thing. Another incident, very similar to this. Um, some of you know, and I used to teach at Westminster Theological Seminary, which is in Philadelphia, fairly conservative place. It didn't wor work out well at the end. I left. Um, and there, there were literally a group of faculty really campaigning day and night to get rid of me. And one of them, he had the same thing happen to him several years later. 
And as it was happening to him, he realized what he had done. Not just with me, but with others at the time. And he talked to a, a friend of mine who was still friendly with him, and he said, do you think Pete would ever want to talk to me? And my friend asked me that. He says, he wants, he wants to know if you ever want to talk to him. And I said, sure, I'll be happy to talk to him. Have him contact me. But I learned my lesson from the airport. And instead of saying, yeah, have him contact me, I said, actually, what's his number? Folks, that was a scary thing for me to do because this person hurt me badly. I lost a job because of him and a few others. But I texted him and said, his name is Lane. Said, now we're best buddies. We just hang out all the time. Um, I said, hey, Lane, Doug said you wanted to meet with me. I'd love to do that. A half a second later, a response already. Like, he couldn't wait, right? So I actually sort of did the right thing in that moment. I actually took the risk. Because to do that, I had to be very vulnerable at that moment. Who likes being vulnerable out there? Good. No one is, is you know, who likes really being vulnerable? I, it's hard. I don't like to do it. But I think I learned my lesson because, you know, again, I think at the end of the day, this is very simple. I think at the end of the day, what people want, I know what I want, is to know God and to feel known by God. With all the complexities that involves, with all the journey we're on trying to understand what that means, I think at the end of the day, that's what we all want. But we don't see this God. And the only way to get there on a daily basis, people walking in this Christian faith, the only way to get there, I think, is how we treat other people. When this guy shook my hand in the airport, I felt good. I felt more in touch with my, I was more authentic at that moment, the shame that I felt, and feeling loved by him. And I actually felt a little bit closer to God as a result. And the same thing with my enemy on the faculty. Same thing. Now, maybe sometimes I learn lessons, many times I don't. Especially now, I think, in a time of confusion that we live in and change, and maybe you've noticed polarization politically, socially, religiously, it's all over the place. The question I ask myself is, how do I want to live in that? And I'm trying to choose the more difficult path which is to love the other as much as I possibly can. That doesn't mean everything they do is fine. That doesn't mean you turn a blind eye to evil and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, I want to love other people. I want to show them love because they have a story too. They may have barriers in their lives that they're not even aware of. And to show them respect and love, I think, is the Christian way. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God is present with us and with them. Amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.